Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 419, continuing on with our elements of architectural interior and exterior style, pushing along toward the end. Um, so this episode is going to deal with Beyond Modern, 1950 to 1990, just around the corner. So modernist Ludwig Miles von Rondeur said, Less is more. Postmodernist Robert Venturi said, less is a bore. The reaction against modernism was a revolt of architects and clients, tired of its restrictions on the designer's freedom. Paradoxically, the style was meant to be liberating, but had become a straitjacket. Before the appearance of embryonic postmodernism, as the opposition style came to be known there as the contemporary style. This was an attempt to make the modern movement more decorative and more responsive to past idioms. It was highly successful in Britain and the United States from the period immediately after World War II up to the early 1960s. In Britain, it was also known as the Festival of Britain Style. Its bright colors and suggestions of Mediterranean or tropical warmth were appropriate for a period when people needed cheering up a bit. But the style too easily degenerated into a commercial formula, which is always the death of any style, and was dismissed by serious architects as a delusion of true modernism. After the contemporary style, the rationalist ideals of modernism were undermined by a different way by architects like Robert Venturi. The house he built for his mother in Philadelphia in 1962 has a gabled facade and many strange, non-functionable details. Philip Johnson's guest house interiors in New Canaan, Connecticut, were also a turning point when Johnson began to change from a Meissen purist to a stylist with many devices. Postmodernism began by playing with modernist forms, exaggerating certain characteristics in the search for meaning and expression. In an irony, which hardly entered the modernistic mind, became a means of coming to terms with the uncertainties of the present time. Among the earliest houses to show the postmodern style, were beach houses and other holiday-style homes, where a certain levity was not quite out of place. The American heritage of the shingle style was rediscovered and, and reinterpreted with overscale scale doll's house-type ornaments. Townhouses and apartments followed, breaking up the simple, free-flowing spaces of modernism, with functionalist architectural elements whose purpose was to create a sense of drama, even of confusion, all fake. The lack of meaning and symbolism of modernism was one of the charges most often levied against it, and postmodernists sought to supply the deficiency. Few tired and tried harder than most than the American critic Charles Jenks, who labeled then defined postmodernism and whose London house, known as the 
Thermatic House has a system of decoration based on cosmology. In this climate of anything goes, elements of classical architecture started to appear. Initially used ironically and deliberately designed in defiance of the laws of proportion structure. Gradually, in the work of many architects, the irony has dropped away, leaving classical forms to speak for themselves. In the 1970s, both Britain and the United States, there was still a small number of architects who were still practicing the pre-war Neo-Georgian Beaux-Arts classical style. Their work attracted renewed interest rather than merely a relic of the past. Their wholesale rejection of modernism made relatively few converts. However, they had clients enough to prove that their alternative they proposed was a practicable one. The return to more traditional features overlapped with the taste of mass-marketed house builders who had ignored modernism throughout and contained and continued to build inversions of traditional styles, ranging from accurate reproduction to unwitting caricature. These builders had been, had been serviced by a supply industry which responded to market forces rather than the dictates of critics and made available a number of revivalist features, medieval-style hinges and handles, fiberglass oak beams, classical columns and niches, atom fireplaces. Some of these items proved useful on a higher architectural plane. Only a few of the most luxurious houses commissioned craftsmen-made details on a level with those of the past. The plaster molding industry experienced an upturn, and the trade in salvaged pieces of architectural decoration was quite brisk, particularly those applied to the ceilings. Parallel with postmodernism, there were architects who had not abandoned the tenets of the modern movement, but found new ways of making it quite more expressive. The high-tech school was more effective in public buildings than domestic, but their emphasis on building components, hard metallic and plastic surfaces, and bright colors had had a considerable effect on product design and building, and has popularized materials such as rubber stud flooring. Yet another strand in architecture since the mid-1970s has been the revival of interest in vernacular building. Whether the historic regional traditions of England or the less ancient but more continuous timber building tradition of the colonial United States, many houses have continued to be built in these traditions, and architects become involved, refining the processes of, and styles. The small holiday development at Seaside, Florida, where the design of new houses is controlled by an aesthetic code, has attracted attention on both sides of the Atlantic as a successful marriage of historical elements with contemporary creativity. The postmodern era has been a time as notable for the appreciation and restoration of old houses as for the construction of new ones. Details of past houses are eagerly studied, but it is important to grasp the meaning of the whole. It is this that makes architecture more than the sum of its parts.
So let's talk about Beyond Modern Doors. So with the return to symbolic meaning in architecture, after the denials of modernism, doors resumed their ritual function. This could be expressed, ironically, as a small house entered through a miniature temple, or, or sympathetically, the door could be ornamented to celebrate the act of arrival and the idea of ownership. Modernist glass doors revealing the inside of the house fell prey to fears about security. Stronger, more solid doors were now quite desirable. Builder supply merchants developed a range of hardwood doors, which enjoyed great popularity. Often these would have an integral fan light or vaguely Georgian characteristic in the door itself, a practical but unsightly device. Although the plywood flush door remains supreme for internal use on grounds of economy, it is no longer made to pre-war standards of quality. Attempts are often made to disguise this by the use of additional moldings. Door surrounds have been adapted from Georgian models, which sometimes influence the design of the room totally. The Georgian six-panel door is a standard catalog item today. High-tech doors use color and manufacture materials, metal, plastic, but remain a minority in taste. Indoor furniture, many period forms have been revived. Other fittings have continued the modernistic machine aesthetic. So let's move over to windows of the beyond modernistic style. For modernistic architects, the window was ideally a transparent, invisible screen between the inside and the outside world. For postmodernists, it could be reinterpreted as part of an architectural code relating to the composition of the facade as a whole, jokingly suggesting a period reference or perhaps some subtly ambiguity. The result of these approaches was to introduce a much greater variety of window forms. In the houses of classical revivalists, the Georgian sash window naturally dominates and has become a standard production item available for all restoration work. For new speculative building, varnished hardwood is preferred to painted softwood as it is supposedly maintenance-free, although when combined with brick, it has an unpleasant visual effect. Replacement double-glazed windows with aluminum or lately plastic-coated metal UPVC frames have been promoted. These have been given crude Georgian or Tudor styling and have wrecked the appearance of many otherwise pleasing cottages, small houses, and historic houses alike. Window catches and fittings in this period are generally standard modern or Georgian style items, as the architectural ironmongery industry has not retooled to meet rapidly changing architectural fashions. The use of such details, even where incongruous, have been usually totally inoffensive. The walls of the beyond modern style. The rediscovery of ornament has created opportunities for various enrichments of the wall surface. Classical features, which might have been out of place on the exterior of a house, were often used inside instead. 
And with apartments, of course, this was the only place to put them. Columns, pilasters, rustication, and other classical details to give a set of forms with overtones of some kind of cultural status and a recognized, quote, set of rules to be observed or departed from as required. Simple devices like the molded wooded chair rail have returned to favor as a way to modulate the surface. Plaster arches, niches, and recesses have as well been revived. Probably the most pervasive wall treatment has been the decorative painting, ranging from trompe l'oeil murals in textured surfaces. The, the rage for faux finishes has dominated both sides of the Atlantic, but also simpler ragged or broken paint effects have had a revival since their last phase of popularity in the 1920s. The purity of the modernistic aesthetic was already compromised in the 1950s by strongly patterned tiles and wallpapers, and these have remained popular ever since. Where the means were available, texture could be brought into a room by the use of real materials, different kinds of stone, ex exposed brick and mosaic. This is an idea that originated in high modernism in the 1930s and still waited, made its way to a, quite the popular level. And, you know, don't forget there's a, a, a ATV program on uh, one of uh, these home shows that uh, someone actually from the Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and he goes in and he actually bastardizes houses. He calls himself a, uh, a uh, someone who brings back the, the charm of brick houses, but he actually goes in and bastardizes interior walls. I think that's one of his specialties by taking the uh, the plaster off the brick or the, or the brick walls and exposing a, a piece of wall here or even a wall and showing some rustification by showing missing parts of brick. So, I mean, this is totally fake. So this is a post-modernistic or beyond modern characteristic he's showing us. It has nothing to do with history. So it's all fake. And uh, unfortunately, many of those watching this kind of show buy into this stuff. So, um, so Greg Perry, the Historic Preservation, is signing out. Uh, this is part one of the Beyond Modern 1950 to 1990. So, uh, and uh, tell your friends, anyone you know, if they're interested in uh, this collage of architectural details to take a listen. Thanks for listening.